Well, good morning, Grace. Hold on, I'll be right back. Okay, join me on this, okay? I'll explain later. My, my social media team has moved its headquarters to uh, Los Angeles. And, and they wanted me, wait, I gotta switch this around. Hold on, I'll be right there. This is what happens when you delegate to young people. Okay, I'm supposed to videotape this announcement. Next week, September 13th, we're regathering at Grace Covenant Church. How about that? Look for that on my social media thing page anymore. Anyway, let me tell you what that looks like. I am so excited about this. I'm wearing a suit next week. I'm going to get a haircut if I can stay out of trouble getting a haircut. And and I just want to say, first of all, thank you so much for those of you who've been really patient with us. We have rebuilt a couple of rooms in here, kind of tore up the lobby to do that. Uh, Our cornerstone building had a lot of serious work done for the children's building there. And we were, during our time off, we were able to get all this kind of construction stuff done. Even the parking lot was finished while you guys were gone. Boom. We cannot wait to get back meeting again. Uh, and here's what it looks like, okay? Here's what it looks like. It's open to everyone, but here's the thing. Masks are going to be required, everybody that comes in here. It's going to have limited seating, so we'll need to do registration. I think registration is going to fire up uh, later on today. Just go to the, web, the main website, and then you sign up and let us know how many people are coming. There's no child care. It'll be like a family church, and any member of the family can come if they can wear a mask for an hour and 10 minutes. And that means, you know, maybe you have a four-year-old that can do that or a husband that can't. Uh, Yeah, so yeah, that's the requirement for that. But next week, we're regathering at Grace Covenant Church. Good times, they're coming. Uh, I wanna let you know that we're responding as a church to Hurricane Laura uh, that hit the Gulf Coast and we sent a team down there to Lake Charles and they're working with Samaritan Purse trying to rebuild stuff, it's hard to send a big team because there's no place to stay. We're looking at sending a bag of money to a really great church down there that's going to help provide fuel to the various people that are running generators because electricity is not available and won't be for some time. Also, I want to let you know, Grace Covenant Church, you guys are awesome. Uh, We got all our 1,200, you know, thank you letters together. And inside each one of those letters is a free meal from a local restaurant to the people at St. David's that are working the COVID ward. There's about 1,200 medical professionals that work there. All 1,200 are getting a meal paid for by you guys at Grace Covenant Church. And it was really fun. Yeah, give yourselves a hand. Ray, uh, Ray Anderson was one making the calls for the restaurant. So these are all, you know, you know, Austin keeping it weird. And every one of the guys were like, oh, this is so good. We get to help you help us help them. You know, everybody won. It was a great day of phone calls for him. Uh, let me pray and then we'll get started in our learning time today. Very tense lesson here, okay? Lord, uh, we lift up our time to you. We are grateful for you and the way you, shown, you have shown yourself to be worthy of our praise. You proved that you are worthy of our praise. Lord, I'd ask that your spirit would speak to us and help us uh, become aware of the devil and his schemes against us so that he might try to destroy us and devour us and make us useless, make us sidelined. I'd ask that you'd open our eyes to that. Let's see how the Savior does that and see how we can do it in our own lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we look at a passage in Matthew chapter 4, and the tension is 
it, you could cut through this tension. The story, as we've picked it up in, in the previous weeks, we have the Jewish king that has been sent by the Father's love to come and set us free from the debt and the shame and the power of sin. He has sent his son. And in the earlier uh, chapters we looked at, the other stories we knew, the genealogy of Jesus Christ proved that he was heir to that throne. He is that king. And then uh, uh, two weeks ago, we learned the second part of the story of Jesus Christ where there was his baptism. And by that, I mean his coronation where the father crowns him and the spirit empowers him. And the Old Testament prophet John the Baptist declares he is that king. But now, now the question is, Matthew chapter 4, is he worthy? Can he do it? What kind of king is he? Like King uh, Richard the Lionheart or his little brother, Prince John, that has never lifted a sword? Jesus must prove that he is not a pampered king that he is not indulgent, that he doesn't have aristocratic exemptions. He has to, he has to wear the, 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 that famous phrase, the knight in shining armor is a man who has never had his metal truly tested. Jesus, if he's going to be a savior, <laughs> that title has to be earned. You don't get the title of Savior. You earn that title. And today we're going to look at that. Matthew chapter 4, the temptations of Jesus Christ. And when we look at those temptations, we need to be thinking, this is really the third part in a four-part temptation. Temptation part one. It's like a sequel. It's a series. Temptation part one was Adam in the Garden of Eden, in paradise, having an intimate interdependent relationship with Yahweh God. And he was tempted and he fell. And when he fell, we all fell. Temptation part two, Israel, God's chosen people, you belong to me. And the Lord led him out into the wilderness. And in the, in the wilderness, the, the people of Israel are tempted. They're tempted. Is God good? Can he provide? Will he protect? Will you believe in his promises and his previous actions? It was a stare down, and Israel blinked. This is temptation part three. Jesus, the second Adam, the new Israel. He has to show that he will be different. And the devil's plan here is to repeat that uh, uh, apostasy and, and, and alter salvation history, the plan of God. That's what's at stake here. It's a four part. Part four, you, me. We're tempted by the devil. So since you are a son of God, since you are a daughter of Yahweh, why is it going so poorly for you? Just curse God and die. And all heaven watches, all heaven watches. Now. It starts abruptly. Watch this. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness uh, to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Does the Spirit, does the Spirit do that to us today? Like you and me? The Spirit of God lead us into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil? To, I mean, like God's Spirit. We're 
like we're being obedient and he brings us to this place of starvation so that we might be put on trial. Does he do that? Yes, he does. And why does he do that? There's a lot of reasons, but one of them, the main reason is this, so that we can show angels and demons and all the created world that we believe that God is good and God is in control. It says, then, then he took him into the wilderness. And the context of that is what we've already seen. He's already been proven to be the heir in his genealogy. He's already been crowned in his coronation. And here's the question. Can he? Will he set us free? You might have heard something like that before. It's a common like tension here, like in the Lord of the Rings, right? Well, well, Aragon was led by Gandalf to the gates of Mordor to defeat Sauron. Sure, can he? Will he? Luke, Luke Skywalker right, was led by the force to the fully operational Death Star to face the evil emperor. Yeah, but can he? Will he? Neo, he's the one. He was led by, I don't know, the Oracle or something to into the Matrix to beat that guy with the sunglasses. Yeah, you get the idea. <laughs> the idea is this. The tension in these dramas is, yeah, but can he? And will he? Will he prove himself to be that way? There's a tension in this story. The angels feel it. Maybe every time they read this story, they think, oh, <laughs> He must be a better Adam. He must be a different kind of Israel. That's what's taking place here. And because Satan is real. And some people, I know, it's pretty easy to think that it's not really sophisticated or naive to believe in the devil. But here's, here's some things that you might consider. One, Jesus believes in the devil. <laughs> Peter and Paul believe in Satan. The name Satan is used over 250 times in the New Testament. That's about one time per chapter. And if it's not just biblical revelation that would convince you, it's this. I think it's, I think it's somewhat naive to not believe in the devil and not very sophisticated. And here's why. Because when you look at the depth and the breadth of evil in human experience and even today, you have to acknowledge that you, you can't get there by just Darwinian survival methods. It is, it is augmented and held up by and empowered by a supernatural external force that desires to destroy all things good. The devil does this. He, like, you look around us and look at the deep divisions and the chaos that's going on, the divisions between families and divisions in churches and divisions in government. That doesn't just happen. And here's what the devil does. This is his playbook. He's going to use deception and deceit and, and sometimes even confusion to divide, to divide. Our battle is not alone, just flesh and blood. It's principalities and powers. It's spiritual warfare out going on out here. And, and so, so watch this. Watch this when we look at this passage, okay, because this is what's going to happen. Satan is going to use deceit and deception and confusion to divide the father from the son. That's his goal. So, with that introduction, here we go. It's time. Temptation number one, verses three and four. Since, since you are the son of God, 
Some translations say if, but it's, it means since, since you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And, but he answers, Jesus answers, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. First, let's look, how is this a temptation and does it apply to us? How is this a temptation? First of all, Jesus has an intimate, vibrant, interdependent relationship with the father. That's, and, and then he is out to do the father's will. And this temptation is to say, after 40 days in the wilderness without food, you can, Father's will is for you to not use your attributes of being a divine, of being a divine part of the Trinity. You, his, his will is not to use those for his own good. And the temptation is, why not? Go against the Father's will and get that loaf of bread. The temptation is this, is to choose a good thing, a good thing over God's will for you to choose a good thing over God's will for you. It's a good thing. Father's will for Jesus is to be completely human while he's completely divine, but not use his divine attributes for his own advantage. Just to completely find yourself in the suffering and the misery of other men. You can use divine attributes with the power of the Holy Spirit to feed 5,000 or 3,000 or to walk on water to prove a point. Yes, absolutely, but for your, but for your benefit and your comfort, it's denied. Bread. Bread's a good thing, <laughs> especially, you know, after 40 days of not eating anything. But it would violate God's will for Jesus. And so Jesus' temptation here is, do I break from God's will for something that's good? And that's how it works in our life. We, we can feel this temptation as well. You know, uh, it's not quite like his, but it is, but it's not. Let me, first, there's an assumption that we have a vibrant interconnected, lively, interdependent relationship with God. And we know his will. It's the reason we practice the disciplines of the faith. That's why we pray and read our Bibles and, and have in, intentional, purposeful relationships. It's why we participate in the ordinances. It's why we gather regularly. So we might know the will of God and then, and then have the courage to stay within the will of God. Because, we, because when we're in that will of God, it's not always pleasant. And if we're not careful, we would choose something that's good, that makes it comfortable, but it's out of the will of God. And, and knowing the will of God and sticking to it is what this temptation is. And we're supposed to be living lives, knowing, pursuing a knowledge of God and an intimacy of God with God so that we can be submissive to that will. Guys, friends, you're, we're, we're supposed to have stories, God's stories, in things that are significant in our lives. He won't leave us here alone for those sorts of things. If, if we should marry, who we should marry, what our vocation might be, where we should work, what city we should live in, I would say even what house we choose, even what hobby we might uh, be entertained with. Those sorts of choices are God-led. There's supposed to be a God story with that. And in that God story... We gain confidence because, because it's only a matter of time before the Spirit in our obedience leads us to a place of wilderness where we go days and sometimes weeks without any kind of nurturing and we have to stay in that will. You go 36 days and your stomach isn't growling anymore, 36 days without food. It is in a full-blown roar. 
And the devil rings your doorbell, and he's like, hey, I'm here from Grubhub, and here's some fajitas. What do you want? To stay in your misery and leave God's will or leave God's will and have some of this stuff? I'm done. To know the will of God and then to stay in your will of God. At day 38, you could be led by your passions of loneliness or fear in your hope or pursuit of something that's good, like, like comfort. <laughs> you could be a person that's driven towards safety, and sometimes those good things are not in God's will for you. And so, yeah, we, we, can, we can be tempted by this, this enticement that Jesus involved himself in. We have that too. And the temptation is like, I would rather, here's the thing, I would rather be miserable in God's will then be comfortable out of his will. And I have that confidence of his will because I have an intimate relationship with him. And fatigue makes cowards out of all of us. 40 days in the wilderness without food. Beware of the 40th day. Aren't you a child of the king? So why are you so hungry? It's, it, it, can be, it can be something as simple as a promotion. You, you could take that promotion because it's the next thing to do. It makes more money. It, like, it gives you a better status. But is it in the will of God? Is it in the will? Of, is that where you have the most influence in that next level? Or don't take the promotion. Don't not take it because you're afraid of, of going up or whatever it might be. So like whether you take a promotion or not, it could be this temptation of being out of the will of God. You have to, the, the question is where... Where is God's will for your life? And how do you get there? You have to know God. You have to know his will. Another way we can apply this in our lives is, is kind of it's, it's, um, it's, it's, how we, it's how we use power or authority in our life. Okay. I mean, this is kind of look at it this way. Because we're in the image of God and God is sovereign, we're, we're, kind, we're kind of sovereign. Okay. It's called being like a co-regent. We're kind of in charge. We share responsibility. And so what, what we have is sometimes places of authority, sometimes per, uh, a position of power, or sometimes just wealth. And we can use that to maybe give a good thing to someone else, not just us, but to someone else, because they're in a wilderness. And we think, oh, I'm going to help them. <laughs> I'm going I'm to phrase, just throw money at it. See, we can, we can become like little sovereigns if we have a, a fair, even a, a small amount of wealth or a position and, and, and God has led a person that you love, maybe a family member, a, a child, and God has led them in their, in their obedience even into that wilderness, into their famine, and, and at day 41, they are going to receive a reward from God. They will be cared for by his angels. They will learn wisdom in that experience of the desert. And we come in and we throw money at it because we feel pity for them and we, and we, we, we sacrifice that wisdom and that honor at the altar of comfort or safety or maybe just a hug back. And so we have to be very careful that we don't do what Jesus is being tempted to do in our own life, rescue ourselves from the wilderness, but also other people's lives. We don't step in and rescue them from the wilderness that maybe God himself and his sovereignty has brought them to. 
Here at Grace, here at Grace, we have a very generous uh, mercy ministry, but we don't just give it out to anybody that asks. That ministry, like, makes their decisions based on their prayer life and the way we feel like God is working in our church, but also how God is working in that family or that person. We want to make sure we don't violate that as a church, but also in our own lives. How do you know? How do you know God's will? You have to know him. Look what Jesus says. Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In other words, I think his thoughts. I feel his feelings. Everything I'm living for is from the word of God. And because of that, I'm like in like this harmonic relationship with the will of God being guided by his spirit. And I know even a good thing might not be a God thing for me and, my, and his will for my life. Ask, seek, knock. Know the will of God, you can do that. The temptation here is choosing a good thing, a good thing over God's will for your life. Jesus is in that, in that desert and, and he just says to the devil, my personal comfort is not the most important thing in my life. Being in the will of God and submitting to him is. Next. Okay. Temptation number two. Here it is. Verse five and six. And then the devil took him to the holy city and set him in a, on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, since you are the son of God, either way, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. 40 days without food in the hot wilderness of the desert of the Middle East. And we have a devil showing up quoting the Bible. <laughs> oh, that's just perfect, isn't it? Misquoting the Bible. That happens a lot. Note, the devil used deceit, deception, and even confusion to separate you from the word of God, the knowledge of God. And he'll even use the Bible to do that. Can he do that? Will I? Yes. Yes, he does. He misapplies the Bible so that you will be confused or to set you on a, a question, you know, about, you'll have doubts about things that you're supposed to have certainty about. He's going to put a question mark where God put an exclamation point. That's what he does. He confuses us sometimes. And look what he says, here's how Jesus responds in verse 7 and said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test, to the test. What does that mean? The devil saying, look, since you're the son of God, and uh, in, in this is what the Bible says, that, that God loves you and he's going to protect you and so much so that you could, like, I don't know, you won't even stub your toe, toe your whole life. You're going to live a protected life. And he, that's how he shows his goodness. You, you, I mean, since you're, the, since you're the son of God. Here's temptation number two, that you interpret God through your circumstances rather than his word. That you define the nature of God by life's ups and downs instead of his declared promises. God has proven certain things and has declared certain things. And, and, and Jesus is saying, when he says, you, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. He's saying to, this, to Satan, he's saying, look, <laughs> God has already proven himself 
in his actions and in his words. There's no test here. There's no test here. It, it's easy to fall into this temptation because we're very fickle as mammals, okay? We, we go 120, we miss 120 meals, and we could believe about anything. We're looking for verses to get us out of this state of starvation. And, and we're supposed to, in those times of emotional volatility, because fatigue can make cowards out of all of us, God's, Jesus is saying, look, this is the thing. You have to hold on to and anchor yourself to things that have already been proven true. And listen, one of the things is, that's true in the Bible, here's one. Jesus calls us to suffering. Jesus calls us to follow him and carry our own cross while we're doing that. He didn't mince words about this. And so when we're suffering hardships, whether they're financial or physical or emotional, when we're feeling like we've been betrayed by friends or family, when we feel like we're all alone and being disrespected, it's like, okay, that's fine. But these things are true about God. He's proven in them or he's promised those. And frankly, we live in a pretty good time, comparatively speaking. So many, I think you, I don't know if you ever picture yourself in the Old Testament where you don't have all the answers, you know, all the spoilers aren't out yet. There were a lot of promises and, you know, some actual actions. But now, on the other side of the resurrection, <laughs> we, we really cannot doubt the goodness of God. There's, there's no place for wondering if, he, if, if he's loving. He's a good, good father. Good father. Uh, John Owen said, the greatest insult to God after the cross and resurrection is to doubt his love. Here's the way Paul said it. I like the way he said it best. I memorized these two verses. It changed my life. If you believe these to be true, it will change yours as well. He says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? What's the proof? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also, now that Jesus had his sign, along with him, graciously give us all things? <laughs> Is God good? Well, I don't know. He gave his only son to be tortured and then he rose again. Is God in control? It sure looks that way. He didn't just promise it, he proved it. The jury's at back. They didn't even deliberate. God is good and God is sovereign. We don't have to put that to the test. That's what Jesus is saying. Boom. Temptation number three. That's how we're to live our lives. Eight through ten. Again, the devil uh, took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And then he said to him, all these I will give to you if you just fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. There's a good Bible memory verse. <laughs> Be gone, Satan. You got a hand is to the devil at this point. He's getting frustrated. He just says, Look, let's cut to the chase. Just worship me. Just that's what we're all here. That's why we're having this meeting. You worship me. If you just not worship God, you worship me. You can, you can serve the devil or you're going to serve the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. Those are your choices. He just says, let's go. And here's what, here's what his temptation is. He's saying, look, all these kingdoms and their glory I can give to you if you just worship me. He's saying, he's saying look, you can get all of that. You can have the crown. 
without the cross. You can have all that God plans on giving you, but you don't have that cup of sorrow. You don't have to go through all of that shame and the mocking. You don't have to wear the crown of thorns. You don't have to carry a cross and be crucified. You get all that God promises you, the kingdoms and the glory, none of the pain. Here's what, here it is in summary, to pursue a God thing in the wrong way. A God thing in the wrong way. This is extremely tempting because it's, it's a God thing. God promised, you know, Jesus this, this kingdom and glory. And it's, this is a very subtle difference from the first one. I had to look at this for a long time to realize in the first one, it's, it's more vague in general that you're choosing a good thing over God's will for your life. A good thing can be vague and your, the will for your life can be vague. Uh, you, you could have four different, I think, God's will for your life, four different jobs to choose from, or two different cities to live in would be both in God's will. This is very specific. This is a God promise to you, but you're going to get it in an unethical way. This is, it seems like, a temptation that was born in America. The ends justify the means. Look, I mean, I'm just going to get what God wants for me to have anyway. I'm just getting it faster, there it is. This is how it starts. Frustration. It's that wilderness thing all over again. It's, it's that sunburn, growling stomach, dehydration. I'm, it's just, this is taking too long. Other people are getting ahead. How come I'm not getting what I should get? Uh-oh, should get? There it is. If I just had these things, God promised me, then I would have joy. There it is. When you do that kind of math, you think the shortest distance between two points is a straight line, and it's not. That's not how God works. Sometimes he takes people a little long way home because he's got to teach them something. And I don't know. I don't know. You don't have to know. You just have to follow. If you think joy comes from shortcuts, you're going to fall to this temptation. If you're into efficiency, you are prey to this. Because here's where you find joy. You'll find joy laying in bed at night, staring at the ceiling with tears running down and just soaking your pillow. And you'd rather have that being in the will of God and surrender to his morals than to have the blessings that you've been promised at another day. Joy comes when you're taking a long shower because you're starting to negotiate on whether there's a faster way to get something that would be good and God-given because you've been in the wilderness too long. And it's just making a coward out of you. And then you choose, I would rather have fellowship with God than, than my dreams. And then you realize, this is temptation three, I would rather have fellowship with God than God's dreams for me. I'll wait. I would rather have fellowship with God than God's dreams for me. Here's how it works. The devil uses deceit and deception and confusion to divide all things good, certainly homes, and churches and nations, but he's trying to split you up 
from the Father who loves you. He's going to confuse you and deceive you and make you wonder, is God good? Is he even in charge? Spurgeon said, the bird that cannot be shot can be easily trapped. And what he means by that is, if he can't get you one way, he'll get you the other. Here's the devil. He's coming up and saying, I want to buy your influence for the Lord Jesus Christ. What's it cost? I'm willing to pay. God has given you good works in Jesus Christ to perform around you uh, that he arranged before time even started. And, and if you follow his will and if you have an intimate relationship with, with him, he's going to guide you to those good works in Jesus Christ. And I want to pay for those. I want you off the field, off the bench. I want you in the stands. What does it cost? Judas, he paid, I don't know, 30 pieces of silver. Esau, a bowl of soup. David, one night of passion. So what about you? some kind of dream you might have for your life, maybe even God's dream for your life, would you trade that for your fellowship with God? That's what this temptation is all about. But then comes day 41. Here's what happens when you survive those temptations. And then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Oh, yeah, yeah. After you deal with the temptations, after you say, leave me, Satan, I'm going to do God's will no matter what it costs, then you have this victory and then you have these rewards. You gain that wisdom and God's own angels come to comfort you. Here's a couple applications. One, this is what it's all about anyway. And the first one is this. Jesus earned his righteousness. He earned it. It wasn't given to him. He earned it. He proved it. He did it right here. He stood where Adam fell. He stared where Israel blinked. And he proves, here's the part that, you know, like, what's it to me? He proved he was worthy. He could be, like, look, we inherited the sin from Adam. Ah, I don't like the sound of that. Okay, but we inherit Jesus' righteousness. If we can inherit Adam's sin, then we can inherit someone else's righteousness. But that righteousness has to be earned. Jesus earns that. What Adam couldn't do in a garden of perfection, Jesus proved himself in the wilderness and said, yeah, I'm adequate. And that's where we get our assurance of our identity because we know that this wasn't some pampered king. This wasn't some aristocrat that says, oh, let him eat cake. He's different. And that leads us to the second point that we learn from this is that Jesus is a sympathetic savior. He's, he, he didn't have aristocratic exemptions. He, it, <laughs> everything we suffer, he has suffered in some context in his life. Look what it says in Hebrews about our great king. He says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize or empathize rather with our weaknesses, but one, but one who has been tempted in every way just like we are, yet he did not sin. And so what does that tell what does that tell you and me? It means talk to him. Like when you're in the desert, talk to him. Fatigue makes cowards out of all of us. Some of us can't make it to dinner without a lunch break. You know, never mind 40 days. Talk to him in those times of temptation and say, like, do you know what it's like to go through this? And he says, Yeah, yeah, I, I kind of do. I really do. 
And I'm going to tell you this, Jesus, listen to his voice. He speaks to us, to our spirit. He says, you're going to love day 41. You've just got to get there. You've got to pass this test. You'll get the rewards for that. You'll, you'll receive wisdom in the experience itself. My angels will come and comfort you. Let's go. Another day. Skip another meal. Skip another meal. Gang, oh, <laughs> what if we were a church, a church filled with day 41 people? What would that look like? One of the stories I love about Dietrich Bonhoeffer that's often missed is that Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a famous theologian during the Second World War, and he was German, all right? He was very patriotic, and he saw the Nazis had changed their, the entire country and divided the country, and he actually helped, you know, uh, to plan to assass a plan in assassinating Adolf Hitler. And his friend said, you need to get out of the country, you're a wanted man, and he did. And he went to New York, and he had a place set up for him there, and he was even a professor at one of the universities in New York City. And in his safety, he realized that he was comfortable and cared for, but he was out of God's will for his life. And he told his friends that had arranged his, his escape from Germany that he had to go back. And they pleaded with him, but he said, no, I'd rather be in God's will and martyred than to be here comfortable. And he got what he asked for. He went back to Germany. He was soon found out. He was held in a prison camp. And two days, two weeks before the Germans were conquered in that particular death camp, and he would have been married after that. He was engaged during the whole thing. He could have just gotten married, lived a happy life out of God's will. And instead, two weeks before that prison camp was set free, he was taken out of the courtyard, stripped of his clothes so as he might be humiliated. And before he was hung, he was granted one last request. He wanted to kneel and to pray for his captors. If you read his diary, you'll see it wasn't an easy thing. He struggled with doubt. He, he struggled with fear. Struggling is part of the wilderness. There's no sin there. What he did is he made it to day 41. And we're still talking about it. Fatigue will make cowards out of any one of us. So what? It doesn't mean anything's different in heaven. God is good and he's in charge. He is powerful. Let us, you, me, let us as a church, let us be a church filled with day 41s so that we might be rewarded, gain wisdom in the experience, and be comforted by the angels of God. Join me. Here we are, day one. Lord, this is our great adventure. This feels a lot like a wilderness. And so, Lord, I'd ask that your spirit would remind us of your goodness and your power, that you're in control, that it would vanquish our fears, that we wouldn't be so appealing to safety or comfort or certainty that we would take our eyes off of, off of you. There's some men and women here, Lord, that they don't have an intimate relationship with you. They think they're gonna get it by just hoping for it. Lord, I'd ask that you'd help us learn how to read your Bible and hear your voice. Pray to you and hear your voice.
Have purposeful relationships and hear your voice in those. Lord, I'd ask that you'd give us an intimacy and tenderness that we might know your will so that when things are dark and ugly in your will, that we would set our minds towards honoring you, that angels and demons would watch as we say we will worship and serve only Yahweh our God. We would show ourselves to be loving and faithful sons and daughters of this great king. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. That's a wonderful story, isn't it? Oh, proved himself, proved himself. Could he? Would he? Yes, he could and he would. Next week, come on back. Let's worship again together. We are going to re-engage next week. Can't wait. Seven days. Get dressed up. Go get your hair cut. See you then.